Wow, it's good singing tonight, huh? Good singing. Wow. Good job, guys. Good job. You guys know who C.S. Lewis is, right? Everybody know who C.S. Lewis is? He's that uh, famous 20th century Christian apologist uh, from England. He wrote a book entitled Mere Christianity, among others, uh, which, you know, I, would, I commend it to you. It's a, it's a good book. Um, he writes this in Mere Christianity. God made us. He invented man as man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gas. And it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on... What's He going to say? What's the human machine supposed to run on? God. You're right. Good job, Elaine. Is that what you meant, Amy? Okay. Good job. <laughs> Good job. God designed the human machine to run on Himself. Lewis continues. God designed the human machine to yeah, run on Himself. Uh, he Himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. There is no other fuel for the human soul. Amen? Lewis continues. That's why it's just no good asking God to make you happy in your own way without bothering with Him. God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from Himself because it's not there. It does not exist. There is no such thing. I love that. It's like, uh, it's like those stupid things that people ask you sometime about God. They say, well, you know, can, can God make 2 plus 2 equal 3? Can God make a circle square? Can God make a rock so big He can't pick it up? You look dumbfounded. <laughs> these are non, you know, philosophers call these pseudo tasks. These are not real tasks. They are pseudo. They do not exist in reality. And this is the argument that C.S. Lewis is making. God cannot give any other happiness than Himself. He's the only one that can fill up the human heart. We've talked about it a lot. That's what. C.S. Lewis is saying, just like a square circle doesn't exist in reality, human completeness and fullness and wholeness and happiness does not exist apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Lewis's analogy here is that you cannot run an automobile on anything other than uh, petroleum or gas or diesel. You can't do it. Just like you cannot run a man, you can't run the human soul on the temporal or on fleshly or finite Fuel. Lewis concludes, this is the story of human history. Men are trying to run on the wrong juice. How many of you are running on the wrong juice? You can always tell. <laughs> you can always tell if you're running on the wrong juice. They seem, Lewis continues, they seem to start up okay and they, they run for a few yards, but then they break down. Then the machine caulks. Who knows what caulks means? It's one of those adorable English words that no one else knows. But caulk means to stall. It means to, to, uh, to, to, to actually die, is what he's saying. The machine stalls and it fails and it succumbs and it dies. Without Jesus Christ, the human machine caulks. Some of you know that firsthand. Some of you know that firsthand. You tried it without Christ. Some of you may still be here and not know Jesus Christ. 
you're going to conk. In the words of C.S. Lewis, the human heart was built to run on Christ. It cannot run on anyone or anything less than the Creator, Redeemer, God. The human soul must have the right fuel. It must have the right juice. And if you're trying to run your life on anything other than Christ, yes, you will conk. You will conk. It's like putting diesel in a gas engine. How many of you have done that? Yeah, I know a few of you have done it. Is that the worst one, diesel and gas, or gas and diesel? Which one? Is it diesel and gas is the worst one, I think, right? Yeah, it's a mess. Don't ever do that. So Lewis's analogy here about a car, it made me think of the inner workings of a, of a, of a gasoline engine. What, you know, what's it called? What's a, a gasoline engine called or a diesel engine called? It works on the principle of what? Internal combustion. Isn't that a perfect analogy or illustration for a Christian? I love it. It's perfect. It's perfect. An internal combustion engine. Internal. Yes, it's, it's, it's what's happened in here. It's what God... We talked a lot about it last week. It's what God did in our hearts. We were dead, but now we what? We live. God did a miracle. It's internal. Christianity is, is, is always inside out. Man-made religion is always outside in. We talked about it a lot. Yeah, so it's an internal thing. And there's combustion going on. There's, a, there's an ignition and a firing and a burning. It's a controlled explosion in the soul of man to meet Christ Jesus. And I know I could get some testimonies from you about that. God speaks life into the dead soul of His people. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The same power that spoke a billion galaxies into existence is the same power that brings life into your dead soul. This is what God does in the heart, the hearts of His people. It's a God-sized combustion. I'm going to give you a really bad Ephesians 2, 1-5 through 5 paraphrase. This is a Jim Albright, and I acknowledge it's really bad, but it... I really like it, okay? So I acknowledge it, so don't critique me too badly. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. We had conked, but God juiced us. Okay? Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. We had conked. We had stalled. We had succumbed. We were dead, but God juiced us. God lit us up. God did that. David understood about internal combustion. Psalm 69.9, David says, zeal for God's house consumes me. Beloved, <laughs> this is how real believers feel about Jesus Christ. Zeal for Him consumes me. He is above all things. He is above everything. David's heart burned for God. He was zealous. He was ardent. He was passionate. He was fervent. God causes children to internal combustion. Romans 12, 11. God says to be fervent in spirit. The literal Greek there means to boil in spirit for your God. Biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity. I love how the message paraphrases that. Romans 12, 11. Eugene Peterson paraphrases that. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. I love that. As you walk with God, fueled in a flame. David was fueled in a flame. He was passionate. He was passionate. He was eager to step in front of Goliath. What? 
a nine-foot guy, who cares? My God's God, right? Is that how you live your Christianity? Is that how you live it? Huge? Fearless? Without hedging? No recourse? No standing on the fence? This is a man who was zealous. He had this delicious, beautiful, life-altering kind of heartburn. Let me ask you, beloved, do you have that? You remember the guys that were walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus? Remember what they said? Man, man, our hearts were burning as the Lord opened up the Word to us. Internal combustion. It's real Christianity. It's real Christianity. We are to be fueled and aflamed by a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. We've been seeing this in the life of the Apostle Paul in Philippians. Paul had serious heartburn. Man, he was so hopelessly in love with Christ. It dominated his whole life. Yes, again, I'll say it again. Biblical Christianity, if you're in relationship with Christ, He will dominate. He will dominate your life. That's the best kind of life. That is the best kind of life. Yeah, Paul was in prison. Yeah, he was chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. Yeah, he was being slandered in the church at large. Yeah, Caesar might chop his head off uh, any moment, but he was so hopelessly in love with Christ, nothing could, uh, nothing could touch the joy that he had. Nothing could touch the joy that he had in God. It reminds me of James chapter 1. You remember the great chapter we, we talked about it? We talk about it a lot in here. It means a lot to me. Christian, the Christian is to let his joy have authority over his trial. And that's what we're seeing in Paul's life. Man, he, he's got three strikes against him. He says, I rejoice always. I rejoice always. Is that how it is with you, beloved? In every circumstance, do you rejoice always? The Holy Spirit is going to exhort us Tonight, to that extent. Yeah, let your joy have authority over your trial. I had to preach that to myself in recent days. Let your joy have authority over your difficult circumstance. Yeah, Paul had it right. The circumstances were inconsequential to his relationship with God and the joy that he had in it. Again, biblical Christianity a born-again, combustible heart, zealous for God, zealous for Christ Jesus. Last week, we looked at one of the most prominent and, and for some controversial verses in the book of Philippians, uh, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2. You guys remember the text, I presume. It's that beautiful and a little bit mysterious balance between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in salvation and sanctification. We saw beautifully how those two verses go together. Let me just read them to you again. Verses 12 and 13, God says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is uh, God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. At the heart of that statement is a very simple truth. The born-again Christian will be working out what God has worked in. If it's not working out, then you have every reason to question your profession of faith in Christ Jesus. If, if you are real in Christ, what God has put in will be spilling out of your life. As Sarah Groves sings so well. She says, something's changed in me. How many of you know Sarah Groves' song? Music, okay. None of you, okay. A few of you. Sarah Groves says, something's changed in me, and it's all spilling out. 
This is what happens in a Christian's life. This is what we're seeing in the life of the Apostle Paul. It's all spilling out in his life. It's what we see on virtually every page of the New Testament. Lives spilling out with the greatness and the beauty and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Paul writes, verse 14, chapter 2, Philippians, do... Wait a minute, someone tell me. Do what? What is, it, what is the next word? Wait a minute. How many of you are doing all things without grumbling? That's everything from uh, the flat tire to stubbing your toe to when the doctor says you have cancer. This is what God means. How many of you are doing all things without grumbling and disputing and complaining? How many? Okay, we got honest people. Okay, I can't raise my hand either. Man, I was so, I told Karen, I was so convicted by this text this week. I have got so much work to do. I have got so much work to do. I bet, I bet some of you do too. I bet some of you do too. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I, uh, does it seem odd to you? It's, it, did, it seemed odd to me that right after this lofty theological uh, mini-tutorial that we got on salvation and sanctification, the very next thing the Holy Spirit says to us is, do all things without grumbling and complaining or disputing. It just seemed odd to me. It didn't seem like that would be the right verse to have right after that. But... Yeah, you remember what we learned about sanctification and salvation. It's all of God. It involves all of us. Verse 12 and 13. It's all of God and it involves all of us. God is sovereign. We are responsible. But why does the Holy Spirit put right after that, do all things without grumbling and disputing? This is why, yeah, you guys... This is why I get paid the big money. I sit behind my desk and I think about stuff like this. I love it. I have the best job in the world. I get to study God's Word. And I sit there and He talks to me and He tells me stuff. And He goes, hey Jim, look at this. I know you never saw this before because you're not too bright, but look at this. <laughs> and and I, 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 I saw it. Verse 14, it's about God's sovereignty. It's about man's responsibility. And I'm going to try to show that to you in the coming minutes. First, sovereignty. God revealed Himself in Scripture to be a sovereign God. He holds and wields absolute supreme power and authority. As I confess almost every week in my prayer, He has no colleague. He has no peer. He does whatever He pleases. He's God. Psalm 103.19 The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. 1 Timothy 6.15 Jesus Christ is the blessed and only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. Daniel the prophet said no one in heaven or earth can stay the hand of God. Daniel 4.35 Psalm 115.3 Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He pleases. Our God is God. He's sovereign. He's sovereign, beloved. He's sovereign. Some say, well, Jim, what, to what degree is God sovereign? There are no degrees to sovereignty. <laughs> you are either absolutely sovereign or you are not sovereign at all. 
God is absolutely sovereign in all things. Go look at Ephesians chapter 1. Sovereignty is not an issue of, of degrees. Jesus gives us a little insight in Matthew 10.29. Not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from what? The will of My Father. I mean, there are literally uncounted billions of sparrows around the world. Not one will fall to the ground apart from the will of I Am. Apart from the will of Jesus Christ. So, do you get it? To grumble is to complain against what? What are we complaining against when, when we grumble? Oh, God! God's sovereignty in our life. God's providence in our life. When we complain, we're really complaining at Him. This is the bottom line here. This is the bottom line. It's, I believe why the Holy Spirit has put this right here in this text. In essence, to complain is to complain against God. It's the height of arrogance. It's the creature critiquing the Creator. When was the last time you critiqued the Creator? I bet probably some of us in here did it even today. Critiquing the Creator for my circumstance, for my situation. Why did this happen? Why didn't that happen? Beloved, in one sense, we're critiquing God Himself. When we complain and we kick against the providences of God, how much does God hate the grumbling, complaining, critiquing He gets? He hates it a lot. How many of you have ever read the, New, the Old Testament? He hates it a lot. You remember the spies at Kadesh Barnea, the guys that brought back the bad report and were perpetuating uh, all the complaining against God? You remember what happened to them? They died of the plague. God judged them. God hates complaining. And you know, in the, if you read the Old Testament Exodus, the Jews were always complaining. They were never not complaining. It was always something with them. It was always... Something with them. I mean, they, God had delivered them. He gave them freedom and spoil. They walked through the Red Sea. They had manna from heaven. They ate the quail. They had water from a rock and they were still complaining. How many of you live like kings compared to the rest of the world and you're complaining? How many of you live like kings compared to the rest of the world and you're complaining? Beloved, this does not please God. This does not please God for His people to critique His providences in their lives. You remember Numbers 16.45. God finally got His stomach full of the complaining. Numbers 16.45, God says to Moses, get away from among this congregation that I may consume them instantly. This is how God feels about complaining. You may remember the account, Moses and Aaron, they got on their face and then they offered up incense and the plague had broken forth in the congregation and Aaron went out and stepped in between the living and the dead and he stopped. He stopped the plague. But 14,700 people had fallen. Beloved, this is how God feels about complaining. I just want to make sure we understand. This is not some small peripheral issue with God. It is an attack on sovereignty. It is an attack on His sovereignty. For us to complain, it's an attack on His godness. 
when we complain. You remember what Paul wrote to the Corinthians over in 1 Corinthians 10? He was writing about this incident in Numbers. Paul says, don't grumble as some did and were destroyed. Now these things happened to them as an example and were written for your instruction. (laughs) We're supposed to learn, man. We're supposed to learn from the Old Testament to see how God feels about being critiqued. John MacArthur says it well, grumbling and complaining are a deep-seated spiritual problem. It's a failure to trust God and to submit to His providential will. That's what it is. It's a deep-seated spiritual problem. It's not anything less than that, beloved. And I'm confessing to you, I have a lot of work to do. I have a lot of work to do as your pastor. So to grumble involves God's sovereignty, but secondly, it involves our responsibility. Why is the world so messed up? What does your Bible say? Is it God's fault or is it your fault and my fault and our forebears' fault? Whose fault is it? You know, God put Adam and Eve, and I've told you this many times, they they were in the garden, they were in paradise, everything north, south, east, and west of the tree was theirs. All they had to do was obey that one prohibition. That's all they had to do. They had one prohibition. But they sinned against God. That's why the world's messed up. Right? Don't you get tired of people railing at God because the world's messed up? All you got to do is read their Bibles. The world's messed up because we're messed up because we messed it up. You can't lay that at God's feet. You can't lay it at God's feet. Jeremiah got it right in Lamentations 3.39. You know the great text, I bet. If you thought much about what we're talking about tonight, you know this text. Why should any man offer complaint in view of his sin? (laughs) Why should any man ever complain about anything in light of your sin? One, it's our own sin that expelled us from paradise. We must take responsibility. But two, the other thing I think the prophet is saying to us there is that the the reality is every one of you, including myself, we should be in hell right now. We should just be starting our eternal stay uh, in hell. That's where we should be. If you're not in hell, I say this to people all the time, if you're not in hell, God has been gracious to you. It's mercy and grace right now because your sin deserves that. Why would you ever complain about anything else if you've really thought deeply about that reality? If you're not in hell, it's grace, beloved. It's grace. And you know what? I love what one theologian said. You know, even the damned, even the damned cannot complain. (laughs) Uh, D.A. Carson's a famous American uh, theologian, writer, He lectures a lot as well. He says, at the final judgments, the enemies of Christ will not only, uh, not only will justice be done at the final judgment, justice will be seen to be done. Every mouth will be closed. The mouth of every intelligent moral creature will be closed. Perfect justice will be done. No one can complain against God. Every man or moral creature, a demon will put his hand on his mouth. There'll be no complaining at the final judgment. 
So again, why does do all things without grumbling come right after 12 and 13, verses 12 and 13? Because that's how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's one of the essential ways. We've learned to be a thankful people, a content people. God fills us up. It doesn't matter if the diagnosis is cancer. God fills us up. Amen? It doesn't matter if I'm in prison uh, for the sake of the Gospel. God fills me up. He never doesn't fill me up. It's real Christianity, man. That's what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. It's what we're seeing here. In the life of the Apostle Paul, I think the Holy Spirit is sending us a serious and sobering message. God expects His people not to complain. This is how serious it is. It's all wrapped up in working out your salvation with fear and trembling. (laughs) It's a serious and sober message, beloved. It's a serious and sober message. This disputing here with God. It's to question or debate or even argue with God. Oh yeah, like you have a better idea than I am? Really? (laughs) You have a more wise idea than I am? Who is omniscient? And you have two and a half pounds of gray matter? It's not always firing on all cylinders? You have a better idea? I don't think so, beloved. I don't think so. We need to learn to have some humility, I think. We are creatures and He is... The Creator. You remember how Paul, the Apostle Paul, slams the door on those who would dispute with God. Romans 9.20 He basically says, Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Questioning God. Debating with God. Disputing with God. Who do you think you are? Is what the Apostle Paul says. Will the thing molded answer back to the one who molded it? Apostle Paul says this is ridiculous. So you've heard me say it many times in this church. He's God and you're not. And until you learn that, your life is going to be one mistake after another. He's God. He's sovereign. And you know, he's, he's worth loving. He's worth worshiping. He's worth living for. He's worth dying for. And until you understand that, you're not going to get your life in order. Until you, you've sold out to those truths, you're never going to get your life in order. If you're pursuing, if you're giving all your attention and energy to pursue lesser things, and we understand there are lesser things in our lives, we understand that. But our preeminent pursuit must be the Lord Jesus Christ. It must be. Hey man, I'm in the ministry. I know ministers who love their ministry more than they love Christ. Beloved, that's sin. I could, stand, I could be sinning right now preaching the Gospel if I love preaching the Gospel more than I love Christ Jesus. Beloved, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. He's God. We're not. Verses 15 and 16. Do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may prove yourselves. Look at this. Why should we do it? Listen. Why should we do it? Verse 15. Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom uh, you appear as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may uh, have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. I think this is powerful, man. I think this is huge. This is hugely 
powerful. What is the result of uh, living a life without grumbling and disputing with God? What is it? People know you belong to Him. I can't tell you how many times when Karen had cancer and she just got all of these, these people just, they, they just couldn't believe how she responded to it and how she walked through it with such grace and with praise on her lips. She walks through cancer with praise on her lips. What does God say when His people walk through cancer with praise on, his, on their lips? What does God say? Everybody's going to know that, I'm, that you belong to Me. Nobody else lives like that. Nobody in the world can live like that. Only if you're connected to, to the living God can you live like that. He says, man, don't complain or dispute and prove yourselves to be My children. Is what He's saying. In the midst of a perverse generation, you will be lights. You will be lights in the world. It's Hebrews 11.6. God is good. Pardon me. God is God and God is good. That's real faith. Hebrews 11.6. God is God and God is good. I do not complain against God and His providences. I do not dispute with God and His wisdom. I am His adopted child and I trust Him implicitly and explicitly. This is the call we have. And when we really live like this without grumbling and complaining and moaning and groaning and disputing, we reveal that we are His and we reveal the power of Him in our lives to an unbelieving world around us. You know, merely religious men cannot do this. Now, they can perform. Merely religious men can perform but to live a life without grumbling and complaining, that's supernatural. <laughs> supernatural, I think. I think it's supernatural. So what's he saying here that we would be uh, blameless and innocent and above reproach? Is he talking about that we'll become sinless? Well, of course not. We, if we study our Bible, we understand that Christians don't become sinless, that we are in the process of, of sanctification. He's not talking about sinlessness. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about men and women who are running on Christ Jesus. They're running on the right juice. Jesus is our fuel and we don't grumble and complain against our Father. We don't dispute with our Father. And we are lights in a dark world. Matthew chapter 5. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? You are to be light. You are to be light in the world. And one way you do that, maybe one of the most powerful ways you do that, is you do not complain. And you do not grumble. And you do not dispute. With God or with man. Say, Jim, that's an impossible task. That's an impossible call. I know it's hard. I know it's supernatural. But this is the work we need to be doing. You know, I tell you all the time, you've got to, you've got to cooperate with God in your sanctification. This is where it comes in. I got work to do. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you guys are really, you know, got it going on. But I got work to do. And this, I got so convicted. Don't you love, don't you love to study the Bible and just get convicted out of your socks? I love it. 
Man, I love it. God's talking to me, man. He's saying, hey, I love you, Jim, but you're all messed up right here. And I'm going to make you, I'm going to conform you to the image of my son. I'm going to make you look like Christ before I'm done with you. I love that. I love his faithfulness there, man. I, I just, I do. I love it with all my heart. We're to be light. Let your light shine before men. Let your contentment shine before men. They may know that you are mine. Let your contentment, Paul says over in Philippians 4.11, I am content in every circumstance. How about you? I'm content in every circumstance. Why? Because Jesus is His fuel. Jesus is His fuel. A life without complaint, a life of contentment and thanksgiving and thankfulness will scream to the world that Jesus Christ is my God and Jesus Christ satisfies me so much. Yeah, it's hard when, when the doctor comes in and tells you you have cancer. It's really hard and it's a little bit of a shock. But my God's bigger than that. Amen? My God's bigger than that. My God's more satisfying than that. Our lives, beloved, need to scream that He's God and He's good. And in the hard spot, that's where people are really going to watch you. I tell you this all the time. That's when you're on stage and you have a megaphone and people are watching. What do they really believe? Okay, the cancer diagnosis came in. What do they really believe? Or is it just all talk? Yeah. We're to be lights in a dark, cynical, self-absorbed, complaining world. The Bible tells us that men hate the light because their deeds are evil. But those who God is drawing to Himself, they're supposed to see the light in you. They're supposed to see the reality of Christ's light in you. So what is our fuel for such a life? How can we really do this? Verse 16, holding fast uh, the Word of life. Holding fast to the Word of life of life. Again, that's why we're a, a Scripture-centered, a scripture a, centered, a Bible-centered church. That's why I preach it and we teach it. And, because this is, this is it. It reminded me of, it reminded me of what, uh, you know, over in John chapter 6, you remember when all the false, uh, the pseudo-disciples, the false disciples, were the sham disciples were leaving Jesus. You remember? And Jesus turned to His twelve and He said, would you want to go too? You remember what, you remember what Peter said? Peter said, where else would we go? You, you, you're the one. You have the words of life. That's exactly what the Spirit of God is saying to us. Can I paraphrase Peter in John chapter 6? Is it okay if I paraphrase, paraphrase Peter? Peter says, Lord, You and Your words are our fuel. You're our gas. You're our juice. That's what Peter said. Lord, if we don't have You, we have no internal combustion. We can't run. We're going to conk. That's what Peter was saying. If God and His Word are our fuel, we will not be cynical, complaining, grumbling, irritable, peevish, dis uh, disputing, argumentative, disagreeable people. Right? I know that none of you in here ever complain. But just in case, you, you thought you might. I'm going to challenge you to memorize Lamentations 3.39. Why should any man offer complaint in view of his sin? 
Why should you complain about anything? In view of the fact, you really should be in hell right now. Beloved, if we'll meditate on that truth, I promise a lot of the garbage that comes off our tongue will stop. If we'll meditate on that simple biblical reality. Lamentations 3.39 Why should any man offer complaint in view of his sin? God says tonight to you and to me, do what? Do what? Some stuff? What does God say? Everything. Do everything without grumbling or disputing. Holding fast to the Word of life that you might appear as lights in the world. Beloved, I know it's a strong exhortation. This is the Word of God. And I challenge you to go into your world, your school, your work, your career, your family, and you honor God there. And you say, yes, He's God. Yes, He's sovereign. Yes, He's good. Whether it's a flat tire or it's cancer or the, the chicken burns or the TV goes out. or I mean, whatever it is. My God is God. My God is good. I will not complain against His sovereignty in my life. Beloved, this is the Word of God. Let's pray together. <coughs> Father, I confess my sin tonight. I confess my sin. I have much work to do. And I thank You, Father. Your hand's always on the clay. I thank You, Father. You never take Your hand off the clay. So thank You, Father, for continuing to conform us into Your image, changing us into the image of Your Son. Thank You again as we've confessed the last several weeks that You will not leave us to ourselves. You will complete the good work You've begun in us. We, we thank You, Lord, for this. Oh, Father, I pray that you would bring this, this message home to each one of us tonight. We'd understand that, in fact, when we're complaining, we're critiquing You. So Lord, I hope we can make the connection here. I hope we can connect the dots here. Just how much You hate this. Just how much You hate complaining. Just how much You hate grumbling and disputing with You and or with Your people. Lord, help us learn this, I pray. Teach us how to please You. May we learn some humility before You, Father. May we learn some humility. May we learn to walk as sons and daughters. May we be lights. May we really be lights. I mean really, really be lights. Contented lights. Internal combustion going on. Zealous. Zealous for Christ. Zealous for the Gospel. Zealous for the people of God. Zealous for the lost. Father, we know we are vapors upon the earth. We know we have, compared to eternity, we have, we have literally moments to live the life You've called us to live. And I pray, Father, that You'd help us to see that reality. I pray we'd walk out of here changed, Father. 
Have your way with us, Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.